Hello and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Senek, joined as always by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, the Flint water crisis. So Richard, this is a story we haven't talked about on the program before. This controversy that has been playing out over the last few months in Flint, Michigan about the city's tainted water supply and the quick thumbnail sketch here for our listeners. In 2014, the city of Flint as a transitional step between using the Detroit water system, which they had been on in the past and switching over to a new system off of Lake Huron, which wasn't completed, started using the Flint River as its primary water source. The water from that river wasn't itself tainted but it was corrosive enough that it was leaching lead from the pipes. Thus, you get the residents exposed uh, to that lead. Some people now testing positive for elevated levels of it. They've now switched off the Flint River, but Richard, this went undetected for 18 months. The EPA's regional director has resigned over this. There are people blaming the emergency manager of the city who greenlit the plan to switch over. There are people blaming the governor of Michigan, Rick Snyder, who appointed him. And it's just been announced that the FBI is looking into this along with some folks from the EPA. Plus, you've got separate investigations coming from a task force from the governor and an investigation by the attorney general of Michigan. So let's start here. Whoever made the mistake here, and it may have been multiple parties. In fact, it sounds like it was. They were doing an operating in a public capacity. What are the variables by which you can determine if someone can be held legally accountable for that? This is an extremely complicated question. Question. And the way in which you have to do it is to take it in two parts. The first part is to figure out what the liability would be of all of these people if they were private parties because nuisance cases often involve multiple sources, each doing something but not everything involved. And then you have to figure out what the set of immunities are for all of the officials at all of the levels and for the government entities that they represent at these levels so that there is the problem of official immunity and governmental immunity. Uh, just to give you some sense as to how complicated it can be. Official immunity and governmental immunity sometimes run in two flavors. One is absolute, meaning you know how terrible you've done in this particular situation. You cannot be sued. Um, and the other one is a qualified immunity, which says that you can be sued if you've engaged in actual malice, that is, doing something knowing that it's illegal, knowing that it's likely to cause harm, uh, but you cannot be sued for simple negligence. And then, of course, there will be lawyers who are trying to say that given the nature of this particular inherent danger, maybe you ought to put the envelope and allow for a negligence liability to begin with. Uh, so starting at the beginning, you know, who created the pollution in question? And the answer is it's clearly a joint causation case because as is typical with the case of pollution, many things come from many sources. Um, nuisances and pollution cases are harder than the usual kind of physical injury case like a blow to the skull because rarely do you have 15 people who are involved in causing that particular industry. But here this is an in injury that could run over months. The water could come from multiple sources. There are other people who have duties to inspect which they don't discharge and the whole thing essentially is there. So the basic rule that you want to put into place on this is sue everything that moves and let the defendants <laughs> sort it out amongst themselves. 
themselves. And this means, in effect, that the governor who authorized the hiring of the city manager is probably a remote defendant, but the city manager, since he had direct operational control, is much more likely to be responsible. And then the third thing is that there are actually people inside the various divisions that executed this particular transaction or are responsible for the inspections there more so. So on the state line, the usual rule is the closer you are to the field of operation, the more likely it is that you're going to be in the line of fire. The EPA is a different source because they probably don't have any responsibility for creating this particular mess. But since it's such an aggressive organization claiming so much oversight over everything, its failure to execute its um, inspections correctly means that they're probably in breach of a duty. Uh, There will be a question as to whether or not that duty creates a private right of action against it or or the federal government for the harm's cause or whether it does not. So just going through this whole thing, my guess is that you cannot deny the significance of this. And let me put it in the following way. Everybody knows that the elevated pollution comes from the leaching of the pipes into the water that gets into people. Uh, The documentation of lead poisoning is completely thorough at the concentrations we're talking about. We took lead out of gasoline. We took lead out of paint precisely because of these problems. And those were to great public health initiatives that succeeded largely without any kind of tort litigation. But now at this particular point, the levels are high, and so proof of causation is going to be relatively easy. So proving causation gets rid of a key element in these cases, but you then have the question of various kinds of immunities. If you look at virtually every state with respect to municipal immunities, they're extremely broad, and these immunities almost always concern and cover various kinds of local government operations um, on particular kinds of things, uh, so that generally speaking, you cannot get to these governments if these statutes are constitutional. If you go up to the federal government level on the other side, it's the same kind of position. Uh, The Federal Torts Claims Act, which governs liability of the government, has a huge exception that is built in there for what they call discretionary functions, meaning making business judgments about which risks to run and which risks not to run. The cases have construed that to be extremely wide in terms of its coverage and deciding how to manage a system which is filled with lead pipes and various kinds of difficulties probably falls within it. It's an absolute protection again, so you can't do much. In terms of the official immunity of respect to the state and local officials, this may well be a qualified immunity, but it's a very high standard. You have to prove actual knowledge of the particular harm in question. That may well be done with respect to some of these officials, but perhaps not with others. The last point to make on this, official immunity only deals with tort suits brought by injured people against the government or government officials. There is still the question of criminal liability or other systems of enforcement that don't involve compensation to individuals but can involve heavy sanctions against government officials and government units. Richard, you've given us there a very thorough descriptive analysis of how the system works. What about the normative one? Is this right? Is it too hard to sue government officials for wrongdoing? 
Generally speaking, I think the answer is divided into two kinds of cases. Um, in those particular situations where the government is engaged in the same court of ordinary activities as everybody else, like driving trucks down the road and so forth, I think the correct view is you ignore all official immunity type situations and then decide under the circumstances that liability should be governed by ordinary tort principles. So if somebody runs somebody down, that would be it. And these stranger cases, to my mind, also include cases in which pollution damages a river or something of the sort. Um, whether or not you want to apply that when the city is running a drinking system and the people who drink from it are in contractual arrangement with the government is a kind of an iffy question. But I incline strongly to the view all of these consumers were innocent consumers. What makes the case, I think, even more troublesome is at the beginning it was just a tragedy. But as you start to move forward, it seems like there's a cover of what's going on, a lack of candor with respect to the public, an indifference with respect to moving to a different source. So I would be quite happy to have some kind of liability. The problem is if the liability attaches to Flint with respect to Flint citizens, the people, so many people have been injured, you're going to have to tax the very people going to recover in order to pay the bills. You try to bump it up to the state level and there are lots of people in the state who've had nothing to do with this situation. So the liability stuff is really very troublesome. What some people try to do in those cases where liability doesn't make sense and total immunity doesn't make sense is to put together a sort of gratuitous compensation programs in which funds are contributed by federal, state, and local governments and are given to help these poor people out of their troubles. And this is not going to give you full compensation for the damages done because if this were just a single individual case of an individual who was inadvertently exposed to lead, which led to seal retardation, that's a several million dollar lawsuit today, at least when measured by damages. And if you have 10,000 children in Flint who've been arguably been injured to some extent, there isn't $10 billion worth of money out there in order to cover it. So these plans are essentially on the sort of, we help you out from the bottom, but we can't give you full compensation at the top. And that's the thing that I would probably work for if I were running this situation. Try to get a pooled set of resources, get some federal contributions, some state contributions, maybe a few local contributions. And also make sure that you clean this thing up so that there's no further aggravation. This thing is a complete tragedy. Pollution of this particular sort is deadly. And this is what the EPA should focus on. And this is what the EPA and the local governments fail to contain and to correct. You mentioned there, Richard, the prospect of a cover-up. And there are some factors here that lend some credence to the idea that may have happened. As I said at the top of the broadcast – 18 months passed without anybody knowing that this was going on. You have had the resignation of the regional EPA director. So nothing set in stone but a lot of things that point in that direction. As a legal matter, is it potentially easier to prosecute people or maybe even bring a civil case against people based on the cover-up than the underlying actions? The answer is that's always the case. The difficulty in this particular circumstance is this is a particularly egregious cover-up. Many cover-ups take place like Watergate after the crime has been done so that there's no continuing aggravation of a previous wrong. These cover-ups were taken up during a continuous operation of the tort, which means in effect that the pollution continues. So you weren't covering up a past event. You were preventing the detention, detection of a future event. And that seems to me to be far more serious and starts to get you into deep criminal territory with respect to the various parties here when it turns out it seems to be the case that they were concerned enough about this so as to give free water bottles which were pure 
to employees of the government operations and not to tell the public or to provide them with the water. That's serious. I mean, this is what often happens when liability systems are uncertain. Uh, People don't respond to the huge harms that they cause to somebody else. They're either insolvent or they're immune to some combination of the above. And you start seeing this kind of erratic behavior. There is distress over and over again, no substitute for doing it right the first time uh, when it comes to these kinds of major management sorts of problems. And I think you try to make rectification as best as you can and you try to do it against all parties. This has nothing whatsoever to do with politics and indeed it does point out one thing about the EPA when it starts to go after all sorts of subtle forms of pollution, light pollution, thermal pollution, whatever they wish to call it. Um, These things are piddling compared to the fact that you're maiming innocent lives by good old-fashioned hardcore pollution. And the lesson for future periods is this. The EPA, the state, and everybody should focus their attention on the things that kill rather than on the aesthetic notions that are really fancy and get all sorts of academic and environmentalist interests. This is a classic case of not doing the basics right or a catastrophe. Local government should pick up the trash and fix the potholes before they start trying to create some kind of Valhalla on earth for their citizens. Final question. You just said a moment ago that this really doesn't have anything to do with politics. Word of that, Richard, has not got to the politicians, especially on the Democratic side of the presidential race. Hillary Clinton invoked this situation in Flint at a recent Democratic presidential debate and she suggested during that debate that this was a stain on the people involved because if Flint had been a more affluent white community, something like this wouldn't have been allowed to happen. How do you respond to that? Well, my guess is there's a lot of truth in what she says, um, but it's also the case that you know this is a federal government at the EPA level controlled by Democrats, and so they have the same degree of indifference. There is a great tragedy as we start to worry more and more about these fancy kinds of welfare functions and so forth. We worry less and less about the basics, and this happens at the Democratic as well as at the Republican level. Remember, this is not the only case of a real EPA screw-up. The Animus River situation in Colorado, which has been buried, was Democratic from top to bottom, and you know that happened in a wealthy community, so it's not exactly the same thing, or wealthy and not so wealthy communities. Uh, What it is, I think, is it's basically a failure to understand that grand missions end in shipwrecks and that simple missions done with greater urgency and precision are there. Uh, You can spend too much money chasing after frills. Uh, Generally speaking, it's hard to spend too much money taking care of the kinds of basics that happen here. And the answer that somebody like myself has looking at this thing is I'm a big tent politician guy. I say a plague on all your houses. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to our listeners. And remember, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting Defining Ideas at Hoover.org, and you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit Hoover.org.